James chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. Specifically talking about wisdom. Talking about what wisdom is and how do we get it. Um, how many of you make decisions every day? Thousands and thousands of them. We make all kinds of decisions every day. Some of them are very minor decisions, like what am I going to eat? What am I going to, uh, to watch on television? Some of them are major decisions, like how am I going to treat my husband or wife today or my children? Or how am I going to uh, make a living today? Um, maybe uh, you're in the midst of whether you want to change careers, or maybe you're in the midst of what you want to study at university, or maybe you're second-guessing a decision that uh, you made before, and, and you're, you're going, well, I shouldn't have made that decision. Um, no matter what it is for you today, we all make decisions every day, and we all live with them. Uh, we live with those decisions every day. So if I was to tell you that you could make better decisions, that you could l make less mistakes uh, by making those decisions, would you say that you would be agreeing that I would want to make better decisions? Yeah, I think we all would. No one says, I want to make worse decisions. Like nobody ever co has come to me in over 30 years of ministry and say, can you tell me how to make a bad decision? Nobody, nobody's ever asked me that. They all say, how can I make better choices? How can I make better decisions in my life? And the answer really is wisdom. It's this idea of wisdom. And it's talk, the Bible talks a lot about wisdom. The Bible talks a lot about the process of thinking. Um, so Christianity just isn't something that we check the box we want to follow God and then we check our brain at the door. That's not how Christianity works. Matter of fact, it's the opposite. Um, when, once we become followers of Christ, the Bible says we are to be transformed in our thinking, in our mind. The renewing of our mind, it says in the Bible, that we need to be constantly, constantly looking at how we think and how we process things. And that's supposed to be a transformation process. Uh, in other words, it's, it's supposed to be different than how we used to think. And we need to be able to, to process that and become better at thinking. James, it's no surprise, uh, being such a practical guy, James, um, that he does the same thing. Uh, as soon as he gets right into his letter, his little book here that he's written, uh, first of all, he talks about trials and how uh, when you go through those things, you should look at them differently. Um, you should look at them with a little bit more confidence and joy that you're ready to go through those things and that you can get onto the other side of those things. Well, he goes right into this, this idea of wisdom. And uh, in verses 5 through 11, that's what he talks about. Um, let me just read that for you. But if any of you lacks wisdom, what should he do? Ask God. Ask God to give you wisdom who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. We should all identify with that, right? We've all seen the surf. Uh, we live around it. We're right here with it every day of our lives. So one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, which is what? Changing all the time, right? Uh, sometimes we have good surf, sometimes we have bad surf. Uh, it's just changing all the time with the wind 
and everything. It's driven and tossed around by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, because that man is a double-minded man. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Unstable in all his ways. Okay. But the brother of humble circumstance is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and the flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. That last section there where it talks about the brother of humble circumstances, it's almost like these are two separate sections, but we're going to talk about why he might have uh, used that second section when he when he's talking about wisdom here in a little bit. There's a young businessman who went to an executive one day and he asked for wisdom. He says, what is the secret of business success? And the man said, wise decisions. And he said, how can I learn to make wise decisions? Experience, the man says. And how do I get experience? Dumb decisions, right? You remember we talked last week, right? about this idea of trials, and the idea of trials and doing them badly does what? Teaches us how to do them better, right? It gives us what we called endurance last week, okay? This idea is the same with wisdom. The more experience you have making dumb decisions, hopefully, <laughs> as we learn through those things, we will become more wise, and we will become better at it. So it doesn't hurt to make bad decisions necessarily, but we because we all are going to do that. But it but you need to learn from those things. There are people in this world that refuse to listen to other people, and they just want to make their bad decisions for themselves. How many of you are like that? That they don't want to learn from other people's bad decisions. They want to make those bad decisions for themselves. Yeah, we are like that sometimes. We're just hard headed. Uh, we know that someone else has made that decision in the past and it hasn't turned out, and we think, but that's never going to happen to me, <laughs> right? But it does, and we go, oh, it, yeah, that's how it works. That's how it works. So we want to be making better decisions while you're going to have to make some bad ones along the way. The fact is, because we are human, we all have great possibility for error in our life. Uh, we wait too long, we pay too much, we say the wrong thing. Uh, bad decisions are bad decisions. We just have to accept it and learn from them. James talks about how to make good decisions. He talks about how to make up your mind. And he tells us the problem. And then he gives us a prescription for that problem. And then he gives us a promise at the end. So let's start with this idea of what is the problem with our Decision-making. The first problem is what on your notes? Yeah. One of the biggest problems is indecision. Sometimes we don't ever make a decision. Uh, sometimes we know we should make a decision about something, but we don't ever do it. We put it off. How many of you have a decision that you should have made a couple of years ago, but you still haven't made it yet? <laughs> it happens. It happens. We put it off maybe because we know the consequences of that decision might be hard. Maybe we know that, um, and it could be something really big. Some of us are doing the wrong thing for a living. And we know we should be not doing that thing, but it's hard to make that decision. Sometimes we just need to 
because we've got a, a money stream coming in, we've got things happening, we got a mortgage, we got bills to pay, we got a family. Sometimes we we kind of make that decision based on the wrong kinds of evidence and the wrong kinds of consequences. So sometimes it can, the indecision factor is a huge one. It's a huge one. Verse 8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And that's this idea of having this what? Indecision. I'm double-minded. Uh, sometimes I feel this way, but then sometimes I feel this way. And so because we don't know which way to go, what happens? We don't go either way or we go both ways. And this is how we this is how we make this is how people who live a double life this is how that happens because they think this decision's best but then they think oh no this decision's best so they make both decisions and they end up living this way part of the time and this way the other part of the time and they have this double life and we say when they end up getting caught for that we all go what I can't believe it. They were around me. They were this way. I can't believe that person would be like that. But they were what? They were leading this. We often think, I can't believe how that could happen. But you do know how it happens. It happens because they've been indecisive. They've refused to make one decision, and they've followed both ways. That's how that works. And that's just the idea of what James is saying. If you're indecisive, you are double-minded. That's how that, that, that looks. That's how it looks to God. And that really is how it looks to us. But sometimes we refuse to really look at it. We kind of ignore it. Kind of in denial a little bit about it. And so we lead this life of being unstable. The word translated confused, uh, the, word, the word unstable means that word is translated confused. That we're confused about something. We don't have... Uh, a, a knowledge of what to do. That word is actually used to describe a drunk who's staggering around. You ever seen somebody who's drunk or been that way? Maybe you don't want to admit it, but you're like, what? You're this way, and then you're this way, and then you, you've seen the YouTube videos of the guys they stop on the the roads who are drunk, and they go, oh, "I'm not drunk," <laughs> and they're like, they're like staggering, and they're going every which way. That's this word. When, when he says that we're double-minded, we are unstable. We are uh, confused. James is saying if you can't make up your mind, it produces an unstable lifestyle. All your ways will be unstable. And your life is in constant turmoil. And it's, it's exhausting trying to keep up with a life that's unstable. It exhausts your brain because you're constantly trying uh, to live this life of being unstable. It's just exhausting. And James says there's three ways indecision makes you unstable. First of all, it makes your emotions unstable. I think this is in your notes. It's a strain on your emotions when you can't decide. You worry. Uh, you're confused. You can't sleep at night. You can't eat. Uh, you wonder, did I do the right thing? It creates that emotional instability within you and in your life. Uh, William, William James said, the most miserable person in the world is the person who is habitually indecisive because it causes these unstable emotions. And we, un we often think we're going insane. 
We often think we're going crazy when we're like this because it's so debilitating to your emotions. You're up one time and then you're down. You're up and you're down. You're up and you're down. And oftentimes this can lead to bad mental health. It's because we're indecisive. We're unstable. Um, another way, another uh, way that indecision makes us unstable is it creates unstable relationships in our life. Now, why would it do that? <laughs> Seems self-explanatory, doesn't it? When you're indecisive, you can't make a commitment to anything, whether it's to a church or whether it's to uh, school studies or whether it's to your marriage or whether it's to your career. If you're indecisive, what happens? It destabilizes all your relationships because you can't make a choice. Can't make a choice either way. And so you're, you know, it keeps changing. Your, your majors in school keep changing. You're, you're not sure who the right person is to be in relationship with, and you can't decide. And it, it destabilizes all of your relationships, this idea of being indecisive. And lastly, and what, what I think is probably the most serious is, it uh, creates an unstable spiritual life. Um, verse 7 says, that that man will not think that he'll receive anything from the Lord. So a double-minded man looks at the Lord and says what? God would never give me anything. He's not going to connect with me. Why would he do that? Why would God connect with me? And the reason you think that is because you're so unstable in all of your other relationships, you don't, you're, you're unstable in your relationship with God as well. And you think, God would never bless me. God would never come down and interact with me because I'm so indecisive. Um, and so we get this idea that it keeps us from relating to God. Indecision keeps God from giving, uh, from giving and you from receiving. It's not that God doesn't want to give you anything, but it keeps you from receiving because you, you don't know how God could interact with you. Um, and it's very unstable. You say things like, why doesn't God answer my prayers? You always question God's love. You think, oh, he couldn't love me. And the reason why you think he couldn't love me is because why? Because you have a hard time figuring out who you love and what you love. So you're projecting your own kind of instability onto who? Onto God himself. And so that's why it doesn't work. Um, this unstable spiritual life is an indication that you're indecisive. Um, Double-mindedness, it can lead to a double life. As I said, it's almost like a spiritually schizophrenic person, that Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of thing. Has anybody read Pilgrim's Progress? Did you ever read that book? Okay, it's a very good book, it's old, so be ready. Um, I, would, I would suggest reading it, some of you young people especially, if you haven't read it, it's a great, it's a great read. But in Pilgrim's Progress, it talks about a man named Mr. Facing Both Ways. That was his name. And that's the idea. It's this man who's uh, facing both ways. And that's when you want to do your will and God's will all at the same time. When you know what's right, but you do wrong anyway. Or when you're trying to live for two people. Maybe you come and sing How Great Thou Art on Sunday, but on Monday, it's a completely different life that you're involved with. That's this idea of double-mindedness, indecisiveness, uh, indecision. 
You can't decide. You don't know what to do. That's a problem. And that's something that you probably, if you're in that mindset, that's something you need to think about this week. How can God break me out of that, uh, that idea of being indecisive? Um, you can't decide. You don't know what to do. Um, James gives us three practical steps uh, that you can do to kind of get out of this. Um, and maybe if you're, if you're into this this morning, you can maybe uh, go through it. They're in your notes. First of all is, number one is, what? Yep, admit you need to, to do something. Okay. If, verse five, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, what? Ask of God. You've got to know you lack wisdom first. So you have to admit the need. You have to admit that, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know. My decisions are everywhere. I don't know how to make good decisions. I need it. Uh, other, but, you know, you have to kind of reach that point. If you think that you make all the best decisions in the world and nobody's going to help you, then that's a bad place to start if you think you know everything because no one does. We have to have to look at your heart and you have to figure out that, yes, I lack wisdom and I need to ask. I have to admit that I need it. Um, we don't, you know, we don't tell God, I've got this, Lord. I've got it figured out. You can just hum, come and help me when the hard times come. And then, I, but I've got, I've got it the rest of the time. Uh, that's not admit, admitting your need. Wisdom is seeing life from God's point of view and making, decision God, making decisions God's way. And in order to do that, we have to admit that we can't make good decisions on our own that we have to have God involved in that process. And so I think it's, uh, it's something we all need to look at. We have to admit that we need him. Admit it. Admit we need God. And that's the first, first step uh, to get this idea of not being a double-minded man and being indecisive. What's the second one? We have to, we have to ask for it. Right? We have to ask God for that wisdom. Uh, praying to him is a good step. That's a good first step. God, I, I need wisdom. Please give me some wisdom. Okay, That's a good first step, talking to him. If any man, if any man lacks wisdom, he should ask of God. Um, how else do you get wisdom? Well, you could listen to Oprah or Dr. Phil. Right? You could uh, look at your horoscope for the day. A lot of people do that every morning. A lot of people look at their uh, fortune cookies, you know, to get that wisdom. A lot of people go and, you know, they practice Eastern mysticism. They, they uh, uh, kind of empty their mind and just see what kind of floats around up there. Okay. And if something floats around, we grab hold of it and that, that becomes our wisdom. And that's how the world kind of does it. Uh, perhaps you have friends that you want to ask about what their, their thoughts are, and that's fine. But sometimes we ask, uh, we ask people who are going through harder things than we are. And what kind of wisdom is that? You know, they're, they're going through a difficult time as well, and sometimes we're asking them to solve our problems when they're having a hard time just with their own lives, their own decisions, their own way of, of dealing with things. So in my mind, wisdom has to come from an expert source. It has to come from somebody who knows what they're doing, somebody who has some 
expertise. And there is no more expertise than the creator of the world itself. Okay, the creator, the, the person who designed our bodies, designed our brains, the guy who's up there going, yes, I know exactly how you work. Okay, that's the expert source that I think we need to ask for uh, wisdom from. And this is, this is God himself. Proverbs 2.6 says, It is the Lord who gives wisdom, and from him comes knowledge and understanding. So where do we look at it? If God were to come to you uh, one day and says, I'm going to give you one wish, you can ask for anything in the whole world, you can have one wish, what would you ask for? million dollars? Financial stability? Or maybe uh, uh, better relationships? Uh, maybe a, a new job, a new vehicle to drive around. You get this one wish from God, what would you ask for? There was one person in the Old Testament that, that was given this one wish. Do you know who it was? Solomon. Maybe you've heard of Solomon. Even non-Christians have heard of Solomon, known as the wisest man who ever lived. Okay, And one of the reasons why he was the wisest man was God uh, knew that he was going to rule over his people and he said, Solomon, I'll give you one thing. What would you like? And what did Solomon say? I just want wisdom. I want to be able to know how to rule. I want to be able to know how to guide and direct your people the best way I can. He wanted to be, have this, this knowledge. Not only just the knowledge how to do it, but how to put it into practice and how to talk to people about it and how to be able to, to uh, guide God's people. He said, I want to be wise. God was like, wow, I can't believe you asked for that. And it said that God got excited about that. And it said he gave him his request. And even non-Christians all throughout history, everybody recognizes as Solomon as one of the wisest people to ever live. You know, he created, I don't know if you know much about Solomon, but even in archaeological classes, even in... Um, in worldly and secular classes, they study Solomon, the way that he built uh, his, his big swimming pools. It's just unbelievable. The way he, brought, he built these huge, uh, do we call them aquifers? I don't know. Who's a smart person in the room? These giant, big, concrete, uh, kind of uh, uh, almost very similar to our, uh, our ocean baths except about five times bigger. He had like 15 of those all over his uh, area, and he not only used those to uh, irrigate all of the, the, the lands around there, but he used them as, as public baths as people, for people to come and have fun. I mean, he was a, he was a very wise guy. He, he planned out all these things. As a matter of fact, um, people came from all over the world to see all the things that he put together, his orchards, uh, the way he ran his livestock, the way that he helped his people through droughts and through uh, times of, of suffering. People came from all over the world to see how he ran uh, that area of the country and how he led his people, because he was a very wise man. Um, and people came from all over to see it. Um, so God was excited to give him that kind of wisdom. So what would you ask for? What would you ask for? Wisdom? I think that's a wonderful thing to ask for. To ask for God's wisdom. Proverbs 4, 7. Who wrote Proverbs? Most of them were written by Solomon. David. OK. 
Okay, Proverbs 4, 7 says, Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. It's pretty short. <laughs> you know, Solomon, get wisdom. Uh, what we really need is that wisdom. The problem is oftentimes we don't ask for it. We think it just comes. And so James 4, 2, our passage today says, you have, or in James 4, later on, it says, you have not because you ask not. So we need to ask for that wisdom. And thirdly, one of the things that we can do to become more wise and less indecisive is anticipate that you're going to get that answer. In the Bible, it says you need to believe and not doubt that you'll get the answer. In other words, have faith that God will give you that wisdom. Most of the time, doubt comes from when we focus on the problem rather than the solution. And so we need to, rather than looking at the problem, we need to look at what God would have for us as the solution to our problems. The moment you get your eyes off the Lord and onto the circumstance, you immediately lose that, that edge of wisdom, that edge of uh, what to do, because the problem becomes so overwhelming that we forget that there might be a solution, and we're just juggling the problem. Have you ever been in that situation? Maybe you've been had that same problem over and over and over again. Matter of fact, in 30 years of ministry, I've had many, many people come to me, and they've said, I have this problem. And a year later, they come back, and guess what? They still have that same problem. A year later, they come back, and guess what? They still have that same problem because they're so overwhelmed and distracted by the consequences and the, the problem that they're going through that it's, it's hard to get their mind separated out from that to look clearly at the, at the wisdom of the decision to be able to get past those problems. So that's a really big key with this idea is that we need to have faith and trust that there is an answer to our problem. All right, and not doubt, because uh, doubt kills. Doubt kills. So where do we find this wisdom from God? We're praying to God. How do we find it? Well, sometimes God brings other people into our lives that are wise, that have been through that situation and gone, gone through it and gotten on the other side. Sometimes that happens. But most of all, the, the vast majority of God's wisdom is located where? Where? Yeah, in, in the Bible. The Bible itself has tons of wisdom. And if we get to know God through the Bible, we will become wise. Actually, we will be, it, it quickens up the process. So if you want to make better decisions, you want to be wiser, get into his word and read it. Okay. One of the first questions I ask people is, when they have a problem that they would like advice on, have you been reading God's word about what it says about this? Uh, no. Why would I do that? Well, it's only the wisest book in the world. It only has more information about how to make good decisions than any other book that I've ever read. So we need to get in his word. The words are living. The Bible says the words in the Bible are living and active. That means it, it's good for stuff. It's, it's good for what we need. Okay, It's active and living. Um, it also says... Uh, in Psalm 1, 2 to 3, delight in the law of the Lord. In other words, his word. De delight in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
He's like a tree planted by streams of living water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. We need to be reading through the scripture continuously because it says in the Bible that if you do that, if you're meditating on that day and night, if you know it well, you're going to prosper with your decisions and your choices. You're going to be able to have better decisions and choices. Um, when you think that all is lost and there is no answer to your problem, I guarantee you that is a false, that is a false assumption. There is answers, and the wisdom of God is a big part of that. The Bible says, 119, Psalm 119, 105, God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Okay, it gives us that opportunity to, to find wisdom. Okay. Just give me four more minutes. Can you give me four more minutes? Yes? No? No, people are saying no. Sorry. <laughs> all right, I'll just shut the Bible. I'll do a, I'll pull a uh, Nathan. Oh, that's all I got. Sorry. That's all I got. Hope you're listening, Nathan. I love you. Um, the last thing is I want you to realize God's promise here is the idea that if you ask him for wisdom, What's his promise? You will receive it. You'll get it. Whether it's from a source, from a good friend walking through that problem with you, or whether it's from God himself through his word, we will get wisdom if we ask for it. But we've got to come to that point, right? Where we're not un unstable, we need to admit that, yeah, we don't know it all. We need to, to make sure that we admit that and then get to a point where we can ask and then get to a point where we can have faith to receive it and understand it. If any man lacks wisdom, he should ask of a God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. God wants to give us the answers. He's eager to. He's excited. Just like he was excited to give it to Solomon, he's excited to give it to us as well. Continually ask God who gives and he will give it to you. Why does, uh, just real quickly, why do you think God adds this last little bit onto this section about wisdom, this idea of the, the, the lowly man that boasts in his exaltation and the rich man in his humiliation? Why do you think he adds that to this section? Anybody have a, a clue, an idea? kind of doesn't seem like it, it fits, does it? Um, it? It fits because when you look at that verses 9 through, is it 9 through 11? He's explaining to you an example of what God's wisdom looks like. In other words, what, and he's contrasting it with what our wisdom would be. Right, we think in our world, not not all of us here may necessarily, because we've been some of us have been following God for many years, but we think the world. We look at somebody, um, we look at somebody who is poor, and we assume a lot of things. Right, we see assume a lot of things in their situation. We look at somebody who's rich, right, and we assume a lot of things in in that situation. And what James is saying is God's wisdom is when we look at people, we need to see those people as God sees them, not as we see them. 
And that's the whole point, isn't it? We live our lives looking at things only the way that we want to look at them. And only the way that we see them. And very, very few times do we take a step back and we go, I wonder how God would look at this person in a lowly circumstance. I wonder how God would look at this person who's well off in his circumstance. Okay? It's, it's all over. We, we glorify these people who have uh, all this money and no talent. Why do we follow the Kardashians? Really? Like why? Why is that even a thing? It's a thing because that's our worldly way of looking at things. We see a, a beautiful picture or we see a lot of money and influence and power. And we want to be a part of that somehow. And so we follow that. We follow it. You know, why is it that we will go and spend umpteen amounts of money going to a live aid uh, rock concert and, and, and not actually go and feed the poor ourselves. Why do we do that? It's because that's the way we, we look. We look at those situations. We just want to throw money at it. We just go, oh, if I could actually go and have a good time <laughs> and throw some money at it, then that's great. But what about you take your, your holidays one year and you actually go on a missions trip somewhere and you get down and dirty with the people who are of humble circumstance and see how they live their life. I guarantee you that almost everybody I've seen who've gone on a mission trip and have, have gotten involved in people who live in lowly circumstance, you know who actually gets blessed? The people who go. Because they realize they're getting to see the real world and how God sees these people. I mean, these are people that, that live without shoes, that, that wear the same clothes for months and months on end, who don't have anything in their life, and yet they're blessing you. You see how God's wisdom works? It's completely different to the way our world works. That's why it's really important that if you're making important decisions in your life, you have to figure this out. You have to figure out how God wants us to make those choices. Because if you don't, you're going to be living for the wrong things in your life. You're going to be living for the wrong things. And your, your path in life is going to be maybe what you think is great, but in the end, it's not going to be very satisfying over a long period of time. And so God wants to give you that that way of thinking. He wants to change the way that you perceive things. He wants to change the way that you see things. Um, and the only way that you can do that is to really start thinking like he does and seeing like he does. So when you look at, that's why James mentions the people in lowly circumstance and those who are very rich, because we see those things very differently than he does. The way that he, he handles those things is different. So there's a lot of wisdom to be found out there, we might need to start thinking about what it's going to take to start incorporating some of that into our daily lives and how we live and how we think. Um, James says, it's very easy. You just recognize you need it and ask for it. Well, 
James is the, ca you know, he's Captain Obvious sometimes. He just says what we all kind of know. Um, it's another thing when we sit down this afternoon and go, okay, well, where am I in this whole wisdom thing? How am I tracking? You know, do I need to make some adjustments in the way that I think? I think we all do. We all do. So I think your challenge this week is to look at that a little bit. Um, continue reading, James. It's only five chapters. Uh, so continue reading the whole thing every week. Um, and when we get to that, those, these sections and we start talking about them, you'll have a step ahead uh, because you'll already have been reading it as we go through. You liking the book? Yep, I hope you are. I've had, had uh, two or three people come up to me last week and go, I'm reading through it. I'm really enjoying it. And so uh, that means that God is, I think, wanting to teach us some things uh, as we go through it. So I appreciate your attention and appreciate your, your willingness to do that. So let's pray, and then uh, we got some morning tea. Hey, God, thank you for today. Uh, thank you for the, the book of James. Thank you for his faithfulness to write these things down. Uh, thank you for his wisdom. We know he gets that from you. And we ask for a little bit of wisdom of our own, that we could see things the way you see them. Uh, that um, I know, that, Lord, it's going to make us different. It's going to make us stand out from the world because uh, we will be thinking differently and, and doing things differently than the world. Uh, but, Lord, please give us boldness and courage to be able to take some of those first steps um, as we get to know you and the way that uh, you think. So it's in Jesus' name we pray uh, these things. Amen. Amen.